Chase Thomas podcast. The Chase Thomas podcast. Um, my nephew needs me to record. See, I hate. I already hate it. I hate it. All right, welcome back to the Chase Thomas podcast. Late on a Tuesday, where I am now joined by someone who is covering a team that we think might be inching towards some some kind of sustainability. We'll see. We'll see. Uh, it's been a crazy season thus far in Canuckland, but Jeff Patterson is here. Jeff, good evening, sir. How are you? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me on. Thanks for being here, man. Um, so for the folks that have not been totally uh, ingrained in what's going on with the Canucks to start this year, through the first 25 games or so, what has happened to the Canucks? Why did they clean house? What uh, What is going on in Vancouver at the moment? Well, I, I don't know how much time we have here, but... <laughs> Uh, let's get after it. The, the Coles Notes version, I suppose, is uh, the team just so woefully uh, underachieved based on organizational expectations. Uh, this is a team that traded away a first-round draft pick for a second year in a row in the offseason uh, to Arizona, this time to pick up Connor Garland and Oliver Ekman Larson. It was all about the here and the now. Uh, the general manager had stated that uh, he believed this was a playoff team. And then they proceeded to win eight of their first 25 games and were mired in the basement of the Western Conference, really the league standings. And so something had to give. Uh, the best players were just not performing and certainly weren't producing. Um, you know, and some of it's on the players, obviously, but it just kind of felt like with guys like Elias Pettersson and Brock Besser and Bo Horvat, those three in particular, uh, their offensive production was down and they weren't showing any signs of uh, coming out of their funk anytime soon. And you have to wonder about a coach and his messaging and his ability to get through his best players. And Travis Green tried everything. He played guys in positions to succeed. He shortened the bench and cut the ice time and tried to send a direct message. And, uh, you know, there just wasn't any sort of response whatsoever. And the fans were getting impatient here in Vancouver. Again, they had been promised a whole lot better. And it's been a long time. Like the Canucks had a little bit of success in the playoff bubble in Edmonton, but yeah, I think in hindsight now, uh, you just have to see that for what it was, such a unique set of circumstances. Um, you know, some teams that maybe weren't as motivated as others uh, playing in uh, the conditions they were in a bubble like that. And, uh, you know, the Canucks were able to beat Minnesota and, and dispatch St. Louis, and the Blues were then the defending Stanley Cup champs. And, you know, they gave Vegas a pretty good fight, but a lot of that was on the back of uh, the goaltending, first Jacob Markstrom, and then Thatcher Demko, and really, it was coming out of the bubble that things started to take a turn for the worse for the Vancouver Canucks, because there was this sort of renewed excitement among the fan base here. And uh, it was shortly after the bubble when free agency opened and uh, guys like Jacob Markstrom and Chris Tanev and Tyler Toffoli and Troy Stetcher all walked away from this hockey club. They couldn't retain any of their unrestricted free agents. And then you think back to the shortened season last year under the cover of COVID. And of course, the Canucks were hit harder than any professional sports organization in North America. And there was uh, a lot of talk and back channels here about, you know, the way that the organization handled its business and, and some of the ways that they conducted things and were they, you know, responsible. Uh, I mean, everybody in the world was battling COVID, but no sports organization was hit harder than the Vancouver Canucks. And, you know, why did that happen the way it did and, and the response to it? And, you know, 2021 has been a, just a highly disappointing season for the, or a calendar year for the Vancouver Canucks. Last season, they finished dead last in the All-Canadian Division. And then this, 
uh, eight wins in the first 25 games. So something had to give, and it did earlier this week. And, you know, the, the biggest single-day house cleaning in the franchise's history, and the Canucks have been around since 1970, but to clear out a general manager and his right-hand man and a head coach and his top assistant coach uh, all in one day, uh, you know, we were expecting and anticipating some change, but I'm not sure that we thought it was going to come that swiftly and touch that many people within the organization, but here we are. Is this the right direction to take, like a full house cleaning? And like, do you put uh, all like the coaching staff, the general managers, or is it more of an ownership thing? How much of this still falls on ownership's directive and what they they saw for for this club and the the short term vision in the last two years? Right. So to answer the initial question, is it the right move until I see who ultimately is coming in to take over and to set the course now for this organization? You know, I'm going to reserve judgment there, but uh, pro sports is about winning. It's a bottom line business. And Jim Benning had eight years, eight years, not many general managers who qualify for the playoffs twice in that span, hold on to those types of positions for eight years. And mm-hmm. so uh, the frustration was running high here in Vancouver. And I think people thought like, you know, this is a guy that had all the top 10 picks. When you look at Elias Pettersson and Quinn Hughes and Vasily Pod Colson, who's a rookie now uh, with the 10th overall pick back in 2019, uh, people look at Jim Benning and his draft record, and he was touted as this sort of draft guru, and yet swung and missed completely on Ole Olevi as the fifth overall pick back in, in 2016. And before that, the first ever draft pick that he made was Jake Vertanen, who was a sixth overall pick in 2014. And, you know, when you're picking that high, you have to you have to connect. And so to have two guys that, you know, just didn't pan out, Vertanen's playing over in the KHL now, and Olevi got dealt for depth pieces uh, just before the start of the season. Uh, you know, so, yeah, the Canucks have done well in the draft with Leah Pedersen and Quinn Hughes. Um, but it's not fair, I don't think, uh, to look at just the the successes at the draft table. I think you have to take into account some of the key misses as well. And so, you know, you look at this Vancouver Canuck roster, Thatcher Demko was a second-round pick, and Nils Hoaglander was a second-round pick. You know, they've done all right, a little bit deeper into the draft as well. But even with those pieces, there are still so many areas of concern for this hockey club. And, uh, you know, for me, eight years of Jim Benning, uh, who himself was a former National Hockey League defenseman, uh, I think his greatest downfall was his inability to adequately assess and then to acquire players that can play defense effectively in the National Hockey League. Right now on this roster, I would say they've got Quinn Hughes and they've got Oliver ekman Larson, who they paid at a fair price to get and has uh, you know an outrageous contract uh, and is on the wrong side of 30. But those are their two legitimate top four defensemen. And other than that, they've got guys playing way higher in the lineup than they ought to have. And it's just been a revolving door of uh, swings and misses in terms of acquiring guys that the Canucks felt could credibly play the position and it just hasn't happened. And so, you know, a lot of times when teams struggle, it's because they can't get a save. And Thatcher Demko has been terrific in goal. And before that, Jacob Markstrom was, you know, a two-time team MVP here before he left in free agency. So uh, you can't blame it on goaltending. The Canucks have had a really good goaltending, and yet they have still been a bottom-of-the-standings team for way too long. And so I just think, again, on balance, eight years, uh, and I'm not sure that the club is any further ahead than it was when Jim Benning took over, uh, it probably was time for a change there. And, you know, coaches are hired to be fired. It's the old adage, Travis Green, five years, or he was into his fifth year and only tasted the playoffs the one time in the bubble. And even at that, 
Uh, it was because the playoff format was expanded to 24 teams. Remember when COVID hit, the Canucks were right on the playoff bubble, and there was no guarantee that they were going to qualify if the playoffs had been the traditional 16 teams, eight on each side. Uh, and so, you know, their success came once they were invited to a an expanded playoff tournament. And once they got in, yeah, they did some good things there, but it was brief and it kind of was a flash in the pan ultimately because uh, here we are uh, 18 months later from the Edmonton bubble and this team is in shambles and now trying to figure out, you know, its best course of action to start to move forward here. Is it kind of odd that they already installed a new coach and uh, his contract, I think, what, runs through 2022, 2023 uh, before uh, hiring new front office uh, personnel? Yeah, and, you know, you'd ask me a little ownership, and, and for, I mean, the Aquilini family, it's three brothers and their elderly father. Uh, the mother has passed on now. Uh, you know, the three brothers essentially are in charge, and Francesco is the chairman of uh, the Canuck organization, and, you know, he gets accused of meddling uh, all the time with this organization, and, and a lot of people thought that, you know, his impatience was ultimately what led to the departure of Trevor Linden, uh, who had been hired as the president of hockey operations. And you know, Jim Benning was able to convince the owner that he could turn this thing around quickly. And Trevor Linden wanted to tear it down and rebuild. Uh, and that was a handful of years ago. And it looks now like Trevor Linden uh, had the right idea, but Jim Benning was able to convince the ownership group that, no, he could turn this around in a hurry. And so he traded away a first-round pick to Tampa to get J.T. Miller. And that trade has worked out. J.T. Miller has been a heck of a player and is a connection leading scorer. Uh, but then to back it up the following year and trade away another first rounder as it is to Arizona, you know, those are win now moves. Those are moves that teams that are right on the cusp of winning a Stanley Cup or at least taking a really good crack at winning a Stanley Cup. Those are the kind of moves that those teams make, not a team that's sitting mired in 26th or 27th in the overall standings. And so uh, the prospect covered here is pretty bare. Uh, the on ice product, not good enough. And as a result, it all came to a head, and uh, ownership decided enough was enough. I think the you know the crowd chanting "fire Benning" at home games here recently, and uh, just a, a lot. I mean, the, the temperature has been high in this market in terms of uh, unrest among the fan base, and so you know I do think ownership has to take uh, some responsibility. And then you know you sit here and we talk about okay, house cleaning. Well, we heard from Francesco Aquilini, the Canuck owner. Uh, on Monday afternoon, uh, first time in seven years that he has just sat in a press conference setting and addressed the media. Wow. And he told us essentially that he was the guy that reached out and, and hired Bruce Boudreaux. So he's got the owner now hiring <laughs> a coach before bringing in a general manager. Like, what are we doing here? Eight years of dysfunction. And it kind of feels like we're, we're starting all over again here in Vancouver uh, with more dysfunction to come. So uh, there are other moves that have to be made, obviously. But uh, Bruce Boudreaux has been installed as the head coach. And uh, he's not going anywhere this year. So whoever is brought in as a general manager or a president of hockey operations, uh, he is going to inherit a veteran head coach who has a track record of turning around underperforming teams. But, yeah, I mean, it, it does sort of feel like your business is being conducted out of order, uh, at least, you know, out of order compared to the conventional wisdom of starting at the top and letting those people hire the people that they want to hire. What happens with uh, Bo Horvat? In terms of the big picture, like long term? Well, in terms of, do you think he gets moved this year? Because there are, those are already swirling. You can, like, there's all kinds of pieces on his future and who he makes the most sense for. Is there any chance that he is a Canuck pass this year? Yeah, I think there's a very good chance that he remains a Vancouver Canuck okay. pass this year. He's got this year, 
He's got this year and next left on his contract. Mm. Then he becomes an unrestricted free agent. So, you know, when you're down at the bottom, I mean, the vultures are going to circle. And yeah. so, uh, you know, JT Miller is another guy. Miller and Horvath contract status is the same. They're under contract and affordable contracts, just over five million bucks for each of them. Uh, you know, for guys that are legitimate top six forwards in the National Hockey League. Uh, but I think, you know, Bo Horvath, the captain here, drafted by the Canucks back in 2013. Uh, this is the only organization he has known. He said again Monday after the house cleaning that he wants to win here. He wants to be a Canuck. He wants this city to have the success that that it deserves. And so, you know, there are some ties here. As uh, uh, you know, drafted by the Canucks and as a captain, I think there are going to be some difficult decisions on both sides. Uh, but J.T. Miller might be the guy. Like I don't know. You know, he's a couple years older than Horvat. Uh, I'm not sure that the Canucks will be able to re-sign him uh, when his contract is up, and I don't know that he'll want to re-sign here, quite frankly, uh, depending, and we don't have a crystal ball, but not knowing where the club is going to be in a year's time, an 18-month's time. Uh, but I think J.T. Miller is probably the bigger trade chip at this stage. I think the organization uh, values and respects Bo Horvat, and they think that you know he embodies a lot of what they want players to be when they are Vancouver Canucks, and you know, a low-maintenance guy that just shows up, competes, plays hard, and all those types of things. And there there would be a lot of value. But, you know, we've seen it around hockey. He's going to have uh, all sorts of leverage and can demand a max contract. And, you know, that's where the organization is going to have decisions. Do they want to commit to eight more years of Bo Horvat that will take him into his mid-30s? And, you know, he's due for a raise on what he's making. So those are all kinds of decisions that the Canucks are going to have to make. Uh, Brock Besser's contract is up this year. He'll uh, be a restricted free agent, but he's got a qualifying offer that's going to require a, a QO of seven and a half million bucks. And he's really struggled just five goals on the season. So uh, he's a better player than that, a better goal scorer, but uh, it just wasn't happening for him and it wasn't happening for Elias Pettersson either. So, you know, they need all their best players to figure things out and just start playing better. And they're hoping that, you know, a coaching change and a new voice and, uh, just kind of clearing the air a little bit, uh, the black cloud that has been hanging over this franchise for far too long now. Uh, they think that they have made these moves, and hopefully they can, you know, players have all talked about a refresh, sort of uh, just kind of uh, a new chapter, a turning a page here. And so we'll see. But uh, there is no shortage of talking points. There are no shortage of front burner issues. Uh, but the coach and the general manager aren't one of them right now, uh, at least based on the moves that were made this week. But uh, the search for the next talking boss, uh, certainly will remain at the forefront of uh, everybody's mind, whether you're in the media or a hockey fan here in the city of Vancouver. Who of the, the young core, which you say is the most untouchable and the, you're still most excited about uh, in the long term? I think Quinn Hughes. Quinn Hughes has uh, done things already in his brief NHL career that uh, we just have never seen in half a century of Vancouver Canucks hockey. Uh, you know, he had a disappointing year last year. Uh, there were a variety of reasons for that. The entire team did, obviously, with a last-place finish. Uh, and his defensive uh, play was certainly called into question. Uh, nobody ever doubts his offensive instincts and abilities, uh, but he was just on the ice for way too many goals against and brought on a lot of it himself for decisions with and without the puck. Uh, he's got his new contract, uh, got a six-year deal, missed training camp in the first week of the preseason, but settled in at uh, hasn't looked back and, and has been terrific for this team and has showed things up defensively. His defensive play uh, has been good, and it hasn't come at the expense of any offense. I mean, he is one of the highest-scoring defensemen in the National Hockey League. I had a four-point night in Ottawa at the tail end of a recent road trip. 
you know, and, and that was a career best for him. Uh, but those types of nights, not four points all the time, but just being so involved in the Canucks offensive generation, uh, able to skate the puck so well and transition it. Uh, I, he's absolutely untouchable. I mean, defensemen like that do not grow on trees. And the Canucks, as I said, they've never had one in their history. So uh, I think they know the, the worth of Quinn Hughes and the value. Uh, Elias Pettersson has just underperformed. But, you know, those first two seasons in the NHL when he was Rookie of the Year and backed it up with another basically pointed game season, uh, that was no accident. That wasn't a fluke. That player is still in there, but his confidence seems shattered right now. And so Bruce Boudreaux's job is going to be to try to build that back up and, and bring that player that uh, was so electric and so confident and scored in his first ten, scored ten goals in his first ten NHL games. I mean, burst out of the scene, uh, you know, and, and people just couldn't believe it. There were comparisons to a guy like Pavel Bure in this market, uh, and that player hasn't been seen here for a little while. He, uh, missed the last half of last season with a wrist injury. So, you know, I do think that that has uh, hurt him a little bit this year. But whatever the case, he's a better player than he's shown, and they need that better player to show up here in a hurry. And so I think part of it was a uh, coaching change, just hoping that a fresh voice and uh, maybe some positive reinforcement could sort of reinstill some of that confidence in Elias Patterson. I think he's untouchable too. But, you know, beyond that, the list is pretty short. When you are as bad as the Canucks have been this year and for a while now, uh, I think that they would listen to offers on a lot of their pieces. Uh, you know, Niels Hoaglander and Vasily Potgolson are two guys on entry-level deals. Certainly real value in today's NHL uh, where every dollar matters. So, uh, you know, the other untouchable, probably Thatcher Demko, who just re-upped five years at five million bucks. No goaltender has played more in the National Hockey League this year than Thatcher Demko, and he's been terrific. The numbers may not show it, but I think the numbers speak more to the defense in front of him uh, than his performance because he has held him in a ton of games. They've lost a bunch of one-goal games, and I would say that uh, at his price point, Dr. Demko probably on the untouchable list as well. I like it. I like it. Uh, we'll wrap up here. You, the next GM for you, who would you target? Um, you could also put yourself in uh, in ownership shoes but um, with who you think they're going to target, but who who would you target right now if you're you're the Canucks, and then who do you think they might they might target? Yeah, I mean, you hear all the recycled names, and I, I'd love to sort of see a progressive thinker come in. I mean, one of the rumors that's swirling here as you and I are recording this is uh, Back to the Future, Mike Gillis and Lawrence Gilman, who built the team that got to Game Seven of the Stanley Cup Final. In 2011, it was the best team in Vancouver Canuck franchise history. Those two were progressive. They were modern, outside-the-box thinkers. Uh, they did business differently, but ultimately, uh, you know, they were able to get uh, Daniel and Henrik Sedin to commit to relatively team-friendly contracts for stars that set an internal salary cap. And, you know, from there, Lawrence Gilman uh, worked the salary cap to perfection to allow the Canucks to add the pieces that they needed at the deadline that, you know, got them on the lengthy playoff run. And so... There are a lot of people uh, in this market that would love to see Mike Gillis come back, this time as a president of hockey operations, and Lawrence Gilman finally get an opportunity to be a GM uh, after being an assistant GM in Winnipeg and Arizona and Vancouver, and now in Toronto, and a uh, well-respected, well-liked guy. Uh, I think he could handle the market. He understands the demands of being a hockey boss in a Canadian hockey market like this one. So. Uh, I've got some time for that discussion, and I'd love to see what they learned from their first go-round together and if they could make it happen. But remember, it's the same ownership group that 
fired those two guys, uh, Gillis first, and then Gilman, uh, when his contract expired, it wasn't renewed. So uh, there'd have to be some fences mended. Beyond that, you know, the, the, the list of sort of same old, same old, I would love to, there are so many smart, uh, you know, modern thinkers in the game that deserve an opportunity. And I just think you have to look around the NHL and a guy like Chris McFarland and all that uh, he's done with Joe Sackick in Colorado, uh, Eric Tulski in Carolina, you know, maybe not the highest profile, but uh, guys that have had a hand in building really good franchises that are legitimate Stanley Cup contenders. So uh, that's the direction I would pursue if I was the Vancouver Canucks rather than just recycling from the same old pile of uh, guys that have done it before, but, uh, you know, are, are out of the game and looking to get back in. If I was the Vancouver Canucks, I, I think I'd take this opportunity to interview, pick the brains of a lot of people, uh, get a thorough review of you know what the outside world thinks of your organization. Uh, I hope that they take their time now and conduct an interview the proper way uh, to find the right persons or people for the job. I like it. I like it. How do people keep up with your work uh, this week and going forward? Yeah, well, I host uh, a nightly podcast here in Vancouver called Rinkwide, along with my co-host Andrew Wadden, and live streamed and then. Uh, podcast as well at Rinkwide Podcast for uh, all the latest on a daily basis on the Vancouver Canucks. We do a post game podcast uh, again at Rinkwide Podcast after every Canucks game as well, and uh, find myself pretty active on social media as well. I'm at Patterson Jeff on Twitter, Patterson with one T and Jeff with a J, uh, and at J Pat Vancouver on Insta. Awesome, awesome. Well, keep up the great work, sir. Thank you so much for making the time. I greatly appreciate it. Yeah, you bet. Nicely done, nephew. Chase Thomas Podcast. Hell yeah.